The sermon text this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. I invite you to please turn there in your copy of Scripture as I read the text. Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Continuing our study through this letter of the Apostle Paul. There we read, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we look at this text this morning, the specific command I want us to consider is the one we read there in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. The Apostle Paul included this specific command in his letter to the Philippians because the Christians in Philippi were being persecuted by their pagan neighbors. And they were suffering as a result of the persecution that they were experiencing. We get a sense of what life was like for the Christians in Philippi when we read about how the church was founded in that city. Um, The story of its founding is found in Acts chapter 16. It's a text that we've referred to as we've been studying this epistle. In Acts chapter 16, we read that Paul and some others in Philippi were in the city on the Sabbath day, and they went outside the gate of the city to the riverside, where they supposed believers would be gathered for prayer. And there they sat down and spoke to some of the women who had gathered, and one of the women was converted. We know that her name was Lydia. And as we've been studying this letter, we've noted several times that her conversion revealed God's sovereign work. As we read in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Dramatic, sovereign conversion, as all conversions are. But as we continue reading in Acts chapter 16 about what continued to go on in the city of Philippi after uh, Paul preached the gospel there, we also read about how Paul and Silas were then later thrown into prison because they had cast a demon out of a slave girl, a slave girl whose owners were using her for gain as a fortune teller. Her masters were greatly annoyed by the fact that uh, Paul had taken away their their means of income. And so they brought Paul and Silas before uh, the civil court, and they said to, to the court about them, we read in Acts chapter 16, verse 21, these men advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them, and gave other orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. Beloved ones, this is the atmosphere that that was present uh, surrounding the church in Philippi. The Christians in the city were being persecuted. Some were being persecuted by their employers, being taken advantage of. Some were being treated harshly by their unbelieving spouses family members. Some were 
being treated harshly by those who were in authority over them. And, and they were being mocked. They were being scorned by unbelieving friends and neighbors. And the question was, how were they to respond to such treatment? How do, were they to respond to this persecution? Were they to take matters into their own hands to perhaps fight back with fists and swords? The Apostle Paul writes and says, no, that's not how you are to respond. Instead, we see in this letter to the Philippians, he exhorts them to be reasonable in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. To be reasonable. This word has behind it the idea of meekness and of gentleness. It means that they weren't to retaliate violently against their persecutors, but instead they were to trust in God's just judgment in the same way that Jesus did when he was undergoing his own suffering. And Paul also, as he draws this letter to a close, this letter to his dear church, he says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. In the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of this opposition, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Loved ones, they needed to hear these assuring words as we do this morning. Because though we don't face persecution nearly to the degree that the Christians did in the first century, we do face stresses. We do experience difficulties and challenges daily in life. Some of us this morning are dealing with chronic illness perhaps with financial debt, with difficulties at work, difficulties in our relationships. What does the Word of God have to say to us about these things this morning? How should we respond? Well, we see first in our text the command that God gives us. Verse 5, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. What does it mean to be anxious? You know, we use this word a lot. We say things like, I'm anxious about a test that I have this Friday. Uh, perhaps it's a math test. Math tests always make people anxious. They always made me anxious. Or, uh, I'm anxious about a situation that, that I have at work. What does the word anxious mean? Well, it means to be troubled with cares. It means to, to have concerns about the future. And, you know, as we think about this word anxious, to a certain extent, it's good to, to care about the future, right? A, a proper care for the future causes us to make good plans. A proper care for the future causes us to, to do things like save for college and to plan for retirement and, and uh, perhaps to, to buy life insurance, right? These are, these are good things that we should be thinking about. These are good plans to make. But... The anxiety that is referred to in our text and, and when the Bible speaks of anxiety, it speaks specifically about apprehensiveness about the future. It has the idea behind it of fear and of uncertainty. It describes an uneasiness in our souls, the kind of uneasiness that fear that causes us to, to doubt God's sovereignty and his uh, love for us. You know, anxiety usually results from having 
a small view of God and a bigger view of our problems. We often become anxious when we focus more on what we think we need and what we feel that we want, and thereby we begin to focus less and less on God and the promise that he gives us that he will supply all of our needs. And so if we think about it this way, we see that anxiety is not just a psychological problem, but that anxiety at its heart is a theological problem. It results from a wrong view of God. To get a better idea of of what this looks like, I I want us to consider Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, which was our second reading this morning. You might want to turn there in your copy of Scripture as we will consider some of these verses. This is a very well-known passage within the Sermon on the Mount, a passage in which Jesus teaches us not to be anxious. There, in verse 25, he says very clearly, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And loved ones, you know, before we look at the different aspects of what Jesus teaches us in this passage, I want us to just first, just first consider the fact that he addresses the issue of anxiety head on. The Lord Jesus, he he knows our hearts, and he knows our minds. He knows what's keeping us up at night. He he knows the stresses and the strains that we face in our lives. And so he very lovingly addresses this issue head on, very lovingly addresses it in these verses. And really the, the center of Jesus' teaching here is that we should not be anxious because God is our sovereign Heavenly Father and He loves us. That by faith in Christ, we are now children of God. He is our sovereign Heavenly Father and He loves us. And Jesus demonstrates the care that our Heavenly Father has for us in verses 26 through 30. And we'll see in our reading, He uses a type of of argument here to show how much God cares for us. Look at verses 26 through 30 of Matthew chapter 6. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then a very profound question. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? We see in this passage that Jesus gives two very clear examples. Look at the birds, he says. Look at the lilies. Consider the lilies. He uses these examples to show that that God cares for these things in his creation. And then Jesus asks us, he asks us, don't you think that if God pays such attention to the needs of birds 
and to the needs of flowers, that he will not pay even more attention to the needs of his beloved children, to you and to me? Not only, loved ones, not only are we beings created in his image, but we know that we are also his beloved children by adoption through Christ. He is our Heavenly Father. This is what we confess every time we begin our prayers with the phrase, Our Father. We are coming to Him knowing our relationship to Him and knowing that He loves us in Christ, that He is sovereign, that He cares for us. It's the childlike faith that you and I are taught to have in Scripture. The Heidelberg Catechism, which is a summary of the Christian faith, very clearly explains what it means for us to trust in God in this way, to trust in him as our Heavenly Father. Question 27 asks, what do you understand by the providence of God? The answer, providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. God our Father provides all that we need. And then question 28 asks, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? In other words, how are we supposed to react to this truth that we read in the Bible, that God cares for us in such intimate and caring ways, loving ways? The answer, we can be patient when things go against us and thankful when things go well. And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. This is what Jesus explains to us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. I don't know if you noticed, but it's a question that really exposes where our trust is placed. Look at verse 27. Jesus asks, Who of you by worrying, can add a single hour to his life. What's Jesus getting at with the question? What's his point behind it? Sinclair Ferguson writes, he says, Jesus has been speaking in this passage about the Father's provision for our lives. And now he underlines the nature of the Christian life. Jesus is teaching us here that our lives are in the hands of the Father. He has designed it. He knows the end from the beginning. And, and he plans each step of the way to, his, to fulfill his purpose for us and through us. We will have all that we need to fulfill his purpose for each of us. And when that is accomplished, we will be taken home to be with him. Why be anxious when he has our lives in his hands? Every detail is planned 
and purposed by our sovereign and loving Heavenly Father. So having considered the command God gives, do not be anxious about anything, let us now consider the means that he provides. We read in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. See in verse 6 here that when we begin to feel anxious, when we begin to feel troubled by the cares of life, one of the ways that we are taught here to combat these feelings is to go to God in prayer. You know, when we think about it, our emotions can be very powerful, and they are often internal. They, they are about how we think and how we feel inside. And it can be difficult sometimes, and, and I would say even impossible, to combat the way that we feel just by trying to think our way out of it with the thoughts in our own heads, uh, with our minds. So uh, if we feel anxious about something, worried about something, and we respond to the anxiety by just uh, sitting in a room and, and wrestling internally with our own thoughts, this can often be fruitless. And that's why prayer is so important, loved ones. See, in prayer, we verbally acknowledge our relationship to God. We verbally speak truth. We speak the truth that he is our father, that Christ is our brother, that the spirit is our comforter. And as we speak this truth, we hear that truth with our ears. We hear it verbalized. This is why I find it very helpful that when I pray privately, I like to pray out loud. You know, it keeps me focused, and it forces me to verbalize to the Lord how I am feeling. Because I've noted that there's a big difference between sitting and churning internally with my own anxiety, my own fears and cares, with my own worries. There's a big difference between that and, and turning to the Lord and speaking prayer out loud. You know, as soon as we put our thoughts and our feelings into words, we're forced to begin to order our thoughts, to put our concerns into perspective and to see our concerns in relationship to to who God really is. And then in prayer, what we are doing is we are asking God, we are asking the Lord to guide, to move, to, to help, to provide. And that's what the word supplication means there in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It It means actively bringing our needs before God. See, in prayer, we move from internal turmoil, we move from that to verbalizing our needs and verbalizing our concerns to our Heavenly Father. Prayer is the means that God has given us to speak to Him, to cry to Him, to engage Him. Our anxious thoughts so often cause us to lose focus on God in prayer, causes us to refocus on God. It's interesting that we read here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, that we must let our requests be made known to God. Why is it so important for us to go before God with our requests? Loved ones, is it it because God does not know what we need? No, loved ones. We know that that's not true. God knows 
what we need even better than we do. God knows our needs before we even speak them, before we even vocalize them. Jesus himself said, you remember in our text from Matthew chapter 6, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so why then should we voice our commands if God knows what we need? One of the reasons is because when we voice our concerns to God, we acknowledge our total dependence on him. We acknowledge this core truth that he is sovereign and that he is our loving heavenly father. In fact, that little word to in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 is critical. That our prayers, Paul says, are directed to God, toward God, unto God. Not unto ourselves and not unto others, but they are to him because we know that he is our father who loves us. So if you are having difficulty in prayer, in verbalizing your requests and in formulating your words to God, some of the things I would encourage you to do is uh, to first use Scripture in your prayers. Use the words of the Psalms. Use the prayers of Jesus. Use the prayers of, of Paul to guide you and to help you uh, verbalize what you are asking God to do, to, to guide you in verbalizing the inner turmoil you may feel sometimes when you are feeling anxious. Use the, the, the words of Scripture. Use also the prayers of, of godly people. I use a little book called The Valley of Vision. The Valley of Vision is a collection of, of Puritan prayers. And I like to read the prayers daily and to read them slowly, and personally, to, to read them out loud, because it helps me focus. And by reading them out loud, it limits my distracting thoughts. Use scripture, use the prayers of, of godly people, and also remember, loved ones, that as you are praying, Jesus and the Spirit are praying with you. The Apostle Paul explains this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 34. And you'll notice as I read these verses that Paul first talks about God the Father sending the Son to accomplish our salvation, that he so loved the world that he sent the Son, and his Son, our brother, we read, is now interceding for us before the Father. Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. When we pray, Christ is praying with us. And not only is God the Son interceding for us, the Holy Spirit is also interceding before the Father. 
Paul writes in the same chapter of Romans, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Prayer, loved ones. This is, this is the means that God has provided for us. And if we go to him in prayer with our pain, with our struggles, with our temptations, with our anxious thoughts, the Bible, we read, assures us that he will never cast us away. He will never reject us. We are exhorted in Scripture to cast all our anxiety upon him because he cares for us. So having considered the command God gives to not be anxious, the means he provides, namely prayer, Paul now explains the attitude God requires. Notice again verse 6 of Philippians chapter 4. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When we go before God in prayer, we're instructed here that it's important that we have an attitude of thankfulness. Some might say an attitude of of gratitude. This is especially important when we are praying about our needs and about the things that that make us anxious and that cause us to worry. Dennis Johnson, he points out that gratitude preserves our prayers from going sour with complaint. That gratitude preserves our prayers from degenerating into a list of self-centered demands. Because so often when we're anxious about something, and you might know this by experience, it becomes all that we think about. It consumes our thoughts. It consumes our heart. It becomes the center of our attention. Our day is often spent focusing on it, thinking about it, stressing out about it. And we can so easily forget all the other blessings that we have received from our Father. And praying with thanksgiving opens our eyes to see the bigger picture, to see that though we might be experiencing some hardship, we still have so much to be thankful for. I had a philosophy professor at Vanguard University who made this point several times in his lectures, and he gave the example of the day his Honda Accord died on him, just gave out. He said that the car was on its last legs. He had put nearly 200,000 miles on the car. And one morning, he went to start it up, and it wouldn't start. And as he shared the story, he said, you know, when it wouldn't start, my first instinct was to be annoyed and frustrated. And then it was to be anxious about the fact that I'm going to miss my class lecture and I would be late. But instead, he, he said... Instead, I I remembered to be thankful to the Lord, not to be thankful for a broken car, but he said to be thankful for all the times that he had turned the key and the car started perfectly, and to be thankful for the tens of thousands of miles that he drove that car safely and reliably. And he said as he sat and thought about it, there was so much for him uh, to be thankful for, even in the midst of that, that difficult situation. See, loved ones, thanksgiving is the result of knowing that 
We do not deserve the goodness that God has shown us. Thanksgiving is, is the result of joy and delight at receiving a gift that you and I know we don't merit at all. And so our prayers must be characterized by this attitude of thanksgiving for everything that God has provided for us. But we know most especially for the salvation that we have received. What is, what is God's greatest gift to us? We know that it is his own son. The Apostle Paul asks the question in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. And think about the question where he asks, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He will give us all things. He will provide for all our needs according to his will in Christ Jesus. Dennis Johnson explains, so the antidote to anxiety is to feast your heart on God's gracious gift of Christ to the point that you burst forth in thanks as you bring the causes of your anxiety before our Heavenly Father. Rather than than fretting like orphans left to fend for themselves, he says, you and I can bring our griefs with our gratitude to God. And we can do so confident that whatever his answer on the particulars, his peace will guard your heart and my heart, your mind and my mind in Christ Jesus. And so this is the promised result of a thankful prayer to God our Father, as we read in our text this morning. The promised result is peace. We read in Philippians 4, verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul first describes that this peace that we will experience is a result of praying with thanksgiving. And he says that we experience this peace in two ways. He says this peace of God, he describes it as surpassing all understanding. That it is beyond merely human reason. Why? Because it is based on a relationship with God in Christ. And so for those who do not know the Lord, they cannot understand how how Christians can live in peace in such an anxious and uncertain world. We know that Jesus assured us of the peace that he gives. He said in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Apostle Paul also describes this peace as a guard. You notice there in verse 7, a guard. That's a military term that describes soldiers protecting something. Think of soldiers around a city gate protecting the city from invaders, protecting the city from harm. In the midst of the difficulties of this life, Paul says God's peace will protect us from anxiety. You know, when, when Jesus spoke those words that we read from John chapter 14, spoke those words to his disciples. When he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, uh, he said them during a time when the disciples were very anxious. They were very worried. Uh, Jesus had, had just told them that he was leaving. And we think 
about what was going through the disciples' hearts and minds and some, some, some of the scriptures verbalized what especially Peter was experiencing. Jesus had, had been with them for three years. There was lots of time that he spent together with them, and now he was saying that he was going away. And the disciples were understandably distressed and, and anxious. But Jesus, you see, lovingly assured them of two things. He says that even though he is going away, they will have peace. They will have peace because he will always be with them by his Holy Spirit. My peace I leave with you, he says. And that even though he is going away, he is coming back. This is why the Apostle Paul explains in our text this morning by that little phrase, the Lord is at hand. And that phrase can be understood as the Lord is near to us, that Christ is always with us by his spirit. And it's also, loved ones, that Christ's return is imminent, that he will soon return. He will renew all things. It will finally be on earth as it now is in heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful word and for the way that you guide us and that you assure us by it. Father, we ask for your peace in our lives. We ask for it in every area of our lives, that we would not be anxious and uneasy, but that our lives would be marked by a calm assurance that you are sovereign and that you love us as your children. Grant us prayerful hearts and a childlike faith so that we might daily approach you in prayer, laying our hearts before you and trusting that you hear and that you answer all that we ask. Father, write your word now upon our hearts and be with us this week as we seek to do your will and to give you glory in thought, word, and deed. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.